Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robin Mark. This is part two of a two-part episode where Abby and I, plus Mike Preisner, go extremely in-depth about how Alex Jones has essentially been a poison pill of sorts for the entire alt-media sphere since the very beginning of his local public access career in Austin, Texas. So we immediately pick up the conversation from part one, talking about the new strange documentary about Alex Jones called Alex's War. Okay, so to preface Alex's War, which Mike and I did watch, um, we have to give a lot of credit to this other podcast called Knowledge Fight, which we've been listening to as an accompaniment to the whole Glenn Greenwald disastrous Q&A that precipitated us actually watching Alex's War. Um, Mm -hmm. We also... You know, we listened to several hours of this podcast called Knowledge Fight that has over 700 episodes dissecting Alex Jones's rantings on yeah, every, his episodes every day, basically. I, just as a side note, I I tried to reach out to them and I, I spoke to them on and off um, during like the height of QAnon, kind of trying to bounce ideas off of them. And I was surprised, especially because of their deep well of knowledge about Alex Jones, that they weren't too compelled by the Steve Pachenik stuff. I was I was trying to talk to them about. Um, and I'm still curious why more people don't expose that and how chronologically Steve Pachenik was the first person to lay out the QAnon narrative. He was the first person to say it, to broadcast it, and it was on InfoWars. And all of a sudden, it just sort of, that got sort of pushed to the wayside. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not criticizing Knowledge Fight. They're great. I mean, there are probably no other podcast that knows Alex Jones as well as they do. Um, so, I mean, I recommend people listen to it who, you know, want to actually hear dissections and, and breakdowns of Jones because there's really no, yeah, there's nothing else out there. Um, but sorry, I was told tangent. Go no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a good point. And it's interesting that you've been in contact with them because I've been wanting to actually talk to them. I think that they would bring some good insight to the whole Alex Jones episode series that we're doing um because this is a two-part episode um we might want to do another interview with them about this because they've been reacting to alex's war in the news it's been pretty much the only good commentary that i've seen because of the extensive knowledge that these two guys have i mean digging through actual hours and hours and hours hundreds hundreds of hours they listen to every single broadcast which i don't think many people do especially no. post deplatforming especially you know it was just kind of like hyperbolic kind of sensational bits and pieces that we hear of other people cherry picking their stuff and so to have these two guys really watching day in and day out who alex jones really is and understanding the pathological line understanding the good and the bad and the very ugly Um, that he reveals himself, you know, and that I think it is a level of censorship that this documentary did a disservice to, which is Alex Jones censoring himself. Wait, that's such a great point, though. You just, I just want to emphasize that, that this movie is supposed to represent almost kind of like, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah. You, you tried to cancel Errol Morris. I mean, nobody said this, but it's kind of like the coming off of this mentality. Like people tried to cancel Errol Morris for doing his Bannon documentary, which I thought was very, very good. And that to me was kind of ridiculous that Trump era got so heightened. It was like, you can't even make a documentary portraying Bannon in a negative light. If he's like the subject of it, you know, if he's in it. Um, 
and this is kind of like we're sort of beyond that era. We're kind of turning the pendulum is sort of swinging the other way now, where it's like it's almost like it's cool to be edgy and like be like, what? We're making a documentary about Alex Jones. Fuck you. If you know, you're not gonna be able to cancel this. Like, yeah, try to cancel it. You know, what are you gonna do? Say this is an outrageous documentary and it shouldn't be produced. Well, that's just more publicity for us. And I do feel like the movie came out at a perfect time to sort of uh, play into that that kind of um, that pendulum swing kind of in the other direction as a backlash to the censorship. But what's so fascinating that you just said is the movie itself, from everything I've heard about it, I've seen the publicity tour for it, the Greenwald interview, everything you guys have said about it, it seems like an act of extreme censorship, very carefully yes. crafted self-censorship to create a very false narrative about Alex Jones. And that's fascinating of itself. It's like, so we supposed to represent us be a symbol against censorship and cancellation, but yet it's doing the exact thing that it's pretending to sort of philosophically be against. So I, I don't know. It's yes. kind of no. The weird. film is not the film is not a film about Alex Jones or what makes him tick or what he's like as yeah. a person. The film is is about who Alex Jones wants people to think that he is. It is a <laughs> false image of him where he yes the film censors itself by not playing any of the clips from Alex Jones saying any of the stuff that a mainstream audience would think, oh, this is a little off the wall and this guy seems not credible. And then Jones himself, when he's interviewed for the film and every time he completely changes his stories, says things that are catered towards a more mainstream audience. And so, yeah, like for example, like one other thing before I get into it, like the, the, his, what part of his backstory is like as a kid, he was spying on these mansions and saw that they're doing like satanic rituals and then the people doing them like tried to recruit Alex Jones because like the devil told them that he was going to be an important person in the future. Like all of this weird mythology that he tells to his audience his like prophet Messiah mythology. None of that was in there. Instead, he'd had a completely different story about how he was spying on these mansions and saw that like the cops were selling drugs there and that there was prostitutes. Doing coke and, off hookers. Yeah. And, and that none of the devil stuff, none of the Satanist stuff, because he knew that he had to self-censor in order to make the propaganda of this film work, which is absolutely 100 percent what it is. Yeah. No, the whole thing is trying to make Alex Jones palatable to a mainstream audience. It really is designed to rehabilitate him directly before this defamation trial. That's what was so strange about it, um, because the premiere happened the week prior. So Alex Lee Moyer, the director of the film Alex's War, she's been given a very glowing accolades um, from the likes of Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald. Like I said, a lot of mainstream press have actually done pretty good reviews of the film. Her whole thing is this is a non-judgmental treatment of who someone is and how they came to be. That's what I keep hearing over and over and over again, right? The problem is, is it's not that at all. Um, in the Taibbi interview, she even says, like, it, it is supposed to be in the spirit of Errol Morris or Werner Herzog. The problem is that those people challenge the subject that they were yeah. filming. Or they didn't. I mean, it seems like it is almost like a commercial for Alex Jones. It's strange to say that, but, like, it is. If, if this is where really was her intention, does she not know that a film came out in 2009 that premiered at SXSW. It got written up everywhere. It was produced by IFC, actually, um, called New World Order. And 
this is what the description is for New World Order. New World Order is a behind-the-scenes look at the underground anti-globalist movement and the intensifying conspiracy culture that followed the attacks of 9-11. The film focuses on conspiracy mogul Alex Jones and his media platform Infowars. It offers a rare and poignant glimpse into the lives of ordinary people and radicalized activists. <laughs> now, this movie doesn't even promise to be an unvarnished, you know, look into the story of Alex Jones and the style of Errol Morris, but the film um, is just on its face. It spends so much time with Alex Jones and it doesn't edit out the ugly that it just right. reveals Alex Jones to be an abusive sociopath, pathological liar, even when it's not even making a, a, a distinct attempt to, it just happens because that's what happens when you spend enough time with Alex Jones. That's what would happen for any normal person spending enough time with Alex Jones is you would eventually see him for what he truly is, a sociopath, pathological liar. And in this film, there's a fascinating scene where he's on the Art Bell show going on live to talk about Bilderberg. He's at the Bilderberg Hotel, like the, the Bilderberg, or like near the hotel that Bilderberg's happening at. The fire alarm goes off during the radio broadcast, and Alex Jones has such a paranoid freak out that he thinks the entire thing is like an attempt to assassinate them, basically. And he says this to like Art Bell live on the radio. Art Bell's like, you, you got to go. There's a fire alarm. You might as well leave, like evacuate the hotel. So the so he ends the broadcast. And then Alex Jones on the actual documentary, like film camera, like the, the you know, these people are there filming him for this documentary, New World Order. Alex Jones is trying to explain to them and everybody in the room, hey, guys, I just remembered we just we got approached earlier today by some guy who's like, hey, I'm going to fuck you up if you if you pull that fire alarm. I told you this was a setup. I told you. Boom. That's it. It's a setup. And then as he's continuing to talk to everybody in the room, he further embellishes the story and says, like, wait, no, no, no I just remembered. They said, Alex and Rob. If you pull the fire alarm, we're going to fuck you up. This whole fucking thing was a fucking setup. And he like keeps iterating the story in a more exaggerated fashion, like in the room with all of the same people. <laughs> now, this technique might work if you're edited, if you've been able to edit yourself and you're in editorial control of like the story you're trying to tell. But instead, it's like a clear reveal of how he's lying in real time, but not like trying to convince just the documentary film crew. He's lying in a way a cult leader would basically trying to like browbeat and intimidate his entire staff into just like not questioning anything he's saying, even though he's like, they all know that this didn't happen the way he's reiterating it. But it's a very strange thing to watch because it's almost like he has a pang of realization. You can see it in his face that he sort of realizes that there's a documentary filming this entire thing. Like there's cameras rolling this whole time. So it's like he kind of catches himself and realizes he's lying and he's been caught on camera. It's a very strange thing to watch. Um, and in that, during that whole interchange, the camera kind of goes off to the side and it's not filming his face. And you hear him going, I'm in command. I'm in command. I'm in charge. <laughs> like to his staff. Like that's how he talked to his staff. Um, so you can imagine he's probably even worse now than he's a more powerful megalomaniac. Um, so that's yeah, what a real only... unvarnished... You can only imagine what is on the cutting room floor of Alex Moyer's documentary because exactly. it only shows him in an extremely positive 
inspiring light. And you know that she has she has interview footage of him and other footage where it contradicts. There's like dozens of hours of interview footage that they must have used with him. Well, here's what's here's what's fascinating about that. It probably took her an enormous amount of work to do that compared to making one that would have been an Mm -hmm. honest like think about the amount of editorial like cherry picking you'd have to do with that much raw footage to pull that off. That is in and of itself suspicious. And I'm not saying that she was tasked to do this by some, you know, weird, dark, shadowy elite who's been propping up Alex Jones. But it's like it kind of makes me wonder what the hell is actually going on here, because it, it is very odd. And I can't I, it's hard for me to explain how anyone could do that because it would just be more work for them. Like, why would you even want to put that amount of work on yourself to produce something that's not truthful? It's. It's surreal, almost. Well, that was the one thing I disagreed with Knowledge Fight's analysis about the film, is that they said it would be too hard to encapsulate Alex Jones. And by the way, the documentary is over two hours long, which is, like, insulting. It's like, we don't have fucking time to watch a two, (laughs) almost a two and a half hour documentary about Alex Jones just giving, being given carte blanche. Like, you have the platform to just be yourself as this cult leader. That was just insane. It's like, bro, bring this to the cutting room floor several times over before you put your audience through this. But Knowledge Fight just said it would be too hard to sum up Alex Jones as the complex cult pathological line force that he is in a documentary like this. And it's like, I don't think that that's true. I think that you could you didn't you can do that. And as you mentioned, there was a film that kind of did already. It let him speak for himself without editing him in a positive way yeah and the, and this movie for people who haven't seen new world order i mean i remember when i first saw it um it was 2009 i was still very much Im- immersed in the truth movement the whole truth 9-11 truth community hated it alex jones hated it he was actually at first he thought it might have been a neutral documentary and he was like kind of promoting it a little bit before it got completed on his show he would talk about hey the film crew's with me today how you guys doing? He would even talk to them like on the air. And then as soon as it came out, he was just like, this is a hit piece. You know, don't watch it. Um, but what's strange about it is when you watch it now, it's actually surprisingly neutral. It doesn't make any judgments. No, like narrator ever comes on to judge any of these people who are like hardcore 9-11 truth mm-hmm. activists. It just shows them warts and all. It shows like a guy who's just parroting talking points who carries around like a you know, um, one of those like boards that you wear on your body saying all this stuff about uh, WTC7. And he gets confronted by a guy who actually works in the Pentagon when 9-11 happened. And he's basically telling this guy that no plane hit the Pentagon. Nobody died in the Pentagon. And the guy's just like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, I was there. He's like, and and they were arguing back and forth. And then this whole entire interchange is in the documentary. <laughs> That's not a hit piece. That is just merely showing what happened. Like, this is what this is what their lives were like. You know, they were up against people who might have actually been firsthand witnesses who were like, no, that's not true. I I was there. Right. And these people were I mean, I would say the majority of people in that movement did have like there was like mental instabilities. A lot of people like the fact that you would believe that no planes hit the towers or no planes hit the Pentagon, which, you know, was a, a huge mainstream talking point in the movement early on. And then just falling into just really incredulous fairy tale stories that you would just parrot over and over again. And then a lot of these people, I would say most of them went off the total deep end. And that is warts and all. That is the truth. That is absolutely 
correct. And I think that you brought up a really good point just now about how people were very emotional after 9-11. It was, it was a scary era. And I think a lot of people, instead of, instead of merely just questioning and saying, we know something is wrong, we need to figure out the truth, we need to dig for the truth and fight for truth and justice, they merely traded the fairy tale of the 9-11 official story that made a whole segment of the population soothe or maybe feel certain catharsis. They merely traded that for another cathartic, easy to digest false narrative, which is we know that a plane didn't hit the Pentagon or we know that, um, you know, there were no hijackers on the planes. Like all these things were just stated as facts by these people. And it's like, do you not realize that you're doing essentially the same thing that people who wholeheartedly believe the 9-11 official story are doing? The, the right way to approach this is just to say that we don't know the truth and we need to figure it out to proclaim that, you know, for a fact that this is what happened when you really don't is part of what caused the whole movement to self-destruct in the first place. And Alex Jones was a primary driver of that. You know, like what you said earlier, just inside job became a catchphrase. And but I mean, maybe out that catchphrase by Alex Jones might have had more substance behind it had he explained more what he meant and actually named names and went through the intricacies of his theory he never did that it was all these catchy talking points and catchphrases and that i think ultimately was the demise of the movement it wasn't you know that it you know i'm sure that there was probably some level of coin pro going on or disinformation being flooded in but it was like the emotional heightened atmosphere and it how easily it was to psychologically manipulate people into just believing in another myth to make themselves feel good was all it took. And I think that that's kind of what we saw play out, but I don't want to get too hooked on nine 11 talk. Cause we, we, you know, this is about Alex Jones. So let's talk more about the, the film. I uh, guess that's what I meant by saying the inside job phrase I thought was really harmful because yeah. when you say 9-11 yeah. was an inside job, someone says, what do you mean? Explain how it was. And that was something that no one could actually do. No one could tell you what the alternative theory was. No one could say, this is what happened. You know? That's and so great, when you are coming out conclusively saying something that's unprovable, that is discrediting. So I think that, yeah, I mean, you're right. It was a replacement of a fairy tale and there was no way to prove anything yeah so robbie just, back to your you said that maybe you don't think it, it may be not be the, the case that alex's war that there were nefarious people behind them who were trying to prop up alex jones abby i think maybe that is what happened because you did a little digging into how this movie was made yeah i mean well what's interesting about the movie itself because when i first heard about the movie it was interesting to me you know i was like oh who is this woman because she's of course put out as the forefront of the renegade who's taking on this highly controversial subject someone who had previously done another documentary on another controversial subject the feel when no girlfriend um tfwng a film about the so-called incel community that she sought to humanize. She's basically this kind of reflexive, contrarian, anti-liberal person. Apparently came from a liberal, like she's very wealthy. She has very wealthy liberal establishment parents. So it seems like she's kind of rebelling against her own family. Um, the more I look into her, the more I kind of feel like she kind of like is like kind of grifts from one like 
movement to the next. She started off as like a suicide girl. Um, somehow, I don't know how her trajectory really to getting the funding to do this incel documentary, but it's just kind of interesting to like do that. And the, the movie, as far as I can tell, I haven't watched it, but what I've read, it doesn't really prove any other point other than what we kind of know about the community. But also doesn't dig in any negative aspects. It's like a humanizing portrait of incels. But one of the reasons it was criticized is that it does not talk to anyone or even address the point that there are people who have been harmed by the incel community, like women who have been, uh, you know, also victims of mass shootings. There's been like incel mass shootings. Like, and so it just doesn't deal with that at all. Or the fact that it's like a, it's like a community based primarily on misogyny and hatred of women and not just like, oh, I'm sad because like I'm not conventionally attractive. Or I would almost like, argue that the majority, heads. the majority of mass shooters and like violent perpetrators of gun violence, that is like the shared characteristic mm-hmm. is incel type yeah. misogyny. Yeah. That, that's like the main characteristics I would say is like you hate women and you can't get a girlfriend. Except um, for... Stephen Paddock, it's, he just got like a mail order by. We don't really know his <laughs> attitude towards women, although he might well, that been, that in itself is strange that you and, have a mail order yeah. incels, in like the Philippines. Incels could get a girlfriend if their like main interest was not incel culture. That's like kind of oh like, yeah, yeah, that is perfect. The whole idea that like oh, it's just a community yeah, yeah, of people yeah. who can't get girlfriends because they're like not good looking enough, and it's like no, it's because your interests are horrible right wing online misogynist communities. So how are you gonna? Re- have a connection to any woman based on that being like your primary interest. Yeah, it was interesting what I've, the quotes that I've read from Alex Lee Moyer about wanting to do the incel documentary was her saying there was a cartoonish depiction of the incel or quote unquote, she doesn't like using that word, this community that lives on these message boards unfairly being represented as hating women as the shared characteristic <laughs> of the community. It's like, wait, I'm so confused. It was just so strange. I mean, it was obviously meant to be deeply uncomfortable of a subject matter and to be spinning it in a completely different light. I kind of do want to watch it now that I've seen Alex's work as I just can only imagine how bad it is. But anyway, that's kind of a mystery of like who put the funding forward for that. Maybe it was her parents since she does come from a very wealthy family. But it did seem like she didn't really have like a coherent political ideology. She just kind of seems like one of these contrarian, you know, reflexive contrarian, like um, hates the liberal establishment. But wasn't one of the producers connected? Yes. So I was just trying to paint who she was. So uh, the company that actually funded the documentary has funding from Peter Thiel. Surprise, surprise. I'm sorry. No, this is Alex's war. Before you go into that, Mm -hmm. I just want to mention really quickly. The only reason I, before I even heard of this movie, I already knew that there was a teal connection uh, behind certain things she was involved in because the incel film played at a film festival that was characterized as being an anti-woke film festival, like in Brooklyn, New York, that was partly like put on by Peter Thiel. Like he was one of the masterminds behind it. It wasn't just a funder of it. So that was on my radar. Like even I, I knew about that w- a while ago. And um, so it kind of makes sense that th- that he would actually be directly funding the production of her next documentary. She claims that he's not directly funding it, but he does have funding into the film production company. So I don't know how you can parse the difference, but she's put out there propped up as the person who sought after this Alex Jones documentary herself, right? And then the funding fell into place later. I don't believe that that happened. 
Um, I think that she is a prop put out there as like the woman face to make it more palatable to the mainstream as like, who is this interesting woman who decided to do this incel documentary and now doing a documentary about Alex Jones? Because it wouldn't have been as intriguing if the two main producers on the film were the ones who funded it and and put themselves out there as wanting to do this humanizing documentary about as Alex the Jones. The two yeah. producers on the film who probably invested the most money, the other guy who was a producer also produced the incel documentary. So I don't know who that guy is, but I'm assuming he's also bad. <laughs> but these two producers also did the film The Plot Against the President based on that big book. That was a huge... Hey, they were the producers yes. on this? Okay. Yeah. That, that is highly suspicious. Exactly. E. Smith was the guy who was behind that film. And Lee Smith is one of the flagship Hudson Institute neocons. There you go. It's that, It's really wild how kind of connected all this shit is. Holy I mean, Hudson, shit. Hudson, <laughs> Hudson Institute, you know, they didn't just like promote Red Scare or, or say like, hey, check out Red Scare. They literally had one of the hosts of Red Scare on their own podcast, like a neocon think tank podcast out of them on. So it's kind of all makes sense. I mean, in a oh, way. it's about to make even uh, more sense, dude, because this movie, The Plot Against the President, was the most hyper partisan, very well funded film. It has enormous reception, thousands and thousands of reviews and accolades, you know, IMDb, almost a five star rating. Basically, it was like the flagship documentary, the end all be all proof that like there was this coup attempt against Trump. Right. This congressman, David Noon at the FISA warrant, mm -hmm. all of the shit the the film's subtitle is like, this is the biggest political scandal in the history of the United States. It's like, really? It? No. I mean, I just saw about, I just, I cannot watch that I shit. Oh God. Comments on it. If you want. You I mean, sure. I mean, one of the most interesting things about the documentary to me is that Lee Smith and Devin Nunes, the both of them were two of the only mainstream like Republican people on record to originally try to go after a second dossier called the Shearer memo, which had just as much influence as the Steele dossier did. They mysteriously both dropped the search and the inquiry on this memo, like nearly simultaneously. Now, this is something that I've been really suspicious about for a while. Why did all the Republicans decide to stop talking about the second memo all of a sudden? Did they have some kind of backroom talk about why they needed to stop talking about it. I don't know exactly why, but they did. And also what's interesting is Devin Nunes and Lee Smith were both going after Paul Singer, originally the owner of the Washington Free Beacon, who funded Fusion GPS that created the Steele dossier. Now, it does seem like at some point Paul Singer and Washington Free Beacon made nice with Trump right after he got in. And all of a sudden, the narrative turns around and gets shifted to be like, it's only the Democrats that did this to Trump or that wanted to tar him with Russiagate. When in reality, it was all these mainstream Republicans who were part of it, too. And suddenly they just all got magically absolved. And what I noticed in that film was that it almost seemed like a way to lock in that second iteration of the narrative so people forget the first version. Because you go back to the beginning of the Trump campaign, it was very much... The Republicans and the Democrats were working together to try to tar him with this. There's no questioning that. So that movie solidifies this false narrative that it was a partisan deep state, you know, witch hunt against Trump. Um, and I, I think it's very fascinating because the people who even 
are behind the documentary know better. They wrote about how it wasn't originally. They know better. So they're, again, very clever lying, I think, to like lock in a particular narrative. Uh, anyways. I mean, it's totally unsurprising that this became just a hyper-partisan shell game, um, you know, pretending like the deep state is just an embodiment of the Democrats. It's just the Democrat-led FBI. That's what makes the whole funny kind of call to defund the FBI from the right wing because they've always associated the deep state with the FBI based on what happened during this whole saga. Um so, yeah, and an and interesting connection also, the Hudson, Hudson Institute elevating this kind of post-left podcast called The Red Scare. What's interesting is that Anna, I'm not even going to attempt to say her last name, she flew out for the premiere. So, obviously, she felt like it was important enough to fly out, right? Um, as well as Mike Cernovich was in the audience, Alex Alexander. The fact that Glenn Ali Greenwald, Alexander. I'm sorry, Ali Alexander, the Stop the Steal organizer, the fact that Glenn fucking Greenwald flies out from Brazil Peter Thiel to connection. be at the premiere to host the entire thing to do this glowing Q&A, which we're going to play some well, clips of. because That it's, was at the premiere? Yes, dude. Here's what's crazy, though, is I just thought, oh, my God, it's so crazy that this woman flew from New York to be like a part of this premiere because it was like so hot. Like these new right people are just so intriguing that she has to be a part of this. And Glenn and just like elevating this documentary to such a ridiculous degree. Well, it turns out, Robbie, that her partner, the woman from Red Scare's partner, did the entire score for the documentary. We know that they're friends of Alex Jones. Yeah. And so, like, the fact that friends of Alex Jones worked on the Alex Jones film just kind of illustrates how it is. Well, the fact that Jones was there, that he was supportive of it. He wouldn't have done that with no Yeah, he wouldn't have done, like, a big Q&A that was all, like, this whole pre-planned thing. If he wasn't approving of the documentary, did he do that for New World Order? Probably not. It's not just Alex Jones was invited to the premiere. Yeah, he could have gone and then been faced with a reckoning of his own psyche on the screen, but that's not what happened. He was invited to be part of the Q&A and given like a total softball. The movie was a softball. And then the the Q&A was like to- even worse, actually, you know, in some ways, it seems like. We're yeah, going to go into that. double down on his further lies. I mean, I watched it and he lies so much in it that it's shocking uh, that he was able to get away with it. But. Well, here's the thing. Alex clearly saw the documentary before he saw the premiere because he leaves during the Sandy Hook part. Um, but in these in these interviews that Alex Moyer does before the documentary came out from Matt Taibbi, she talks about, look, um, this is just what journalism used to be. You know, that whole liberal line of like the Glenn Greenwald mantra where it's like if the, if the corporate media can lie about WMDs, then... You know, then it makes sense why Alex Jones is so popular because the, the what's called a conspiracy today is going to be the news tomorrow. I mean, that's basically the whole thing that Infowars is. Um, but so she brags about how this is just what journalism used to be: is doing these uncritical hagiographies of characters like Alex Jones, and that she should be treated like a hero. And in fact, she is like elevated as this hero status. Like, oh my God, it's so fucking daring that you took on a subject like this. She actually says, quote, in the Taibbi interview, it's not meant to confirm your biases. It's meant to show what these people are really like. It used to be called journalism. Okay. 
that's not true though, right? And what you see over and over again, it's like they, it's so insane. Like all they can do is reference WMDs. She yeah. does it. Glenn Greenwald does it as an example of how this this conflation between the corporate media and Alex Jones is somehow on equal footing, right? Alex mm-hmm. Jones does it over and over again in the actual Q&A. Yeah. So yeah, that's the great irony is that like they try to say, oh, well, the mainstream media lies. So no, re- no wonder Alex Jones is popular. And it's like, well, Alex Jones is also lying all the yeah. time, all day. So how the <laughs> fuck are you not? But like, as, as Alex Jones says, he doesn't lie on purpose. He doesn't lie on purpose. He keeps saying that over and over again. He's like, unlike the, the corporate Q&A, media, yeah. I don't can lie I, on purpose, folks. Can I say something? Yeah. Just really about, I'm looking at the IMDb cast list for the movie, and it's interesting what who's on it and who's not. So it says that Oyan Scheuer, Mike Hansen, and Rob Dew are all in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you guys remember if David Knight was in the oh, documentary? No, of course not. Who got fired? Okay, so that's no, really nope. There's not one critical no, voice. That's the no. thing. They do a whole profile on Alex Jones. No. They do not interview one person who has anything critical to other say. Other than it's like only Alex Jones sycophants. Yeah, other than like mainstream liberals like yep. Trevor Noah who, they only, who are like. Oh, he says that Obama smells like sulfur. It's all, it's only like cartoonish depictions yep. of what the liberal media says about Alex Jones yeah. instead of actual criticisms of like previous employees. Which is meant to give him like more credibility. Like they only show like media montages mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. loathsome mm-hmm. Uh, cable news hosts being like Alex Jones is, is, is a liar. And then it's like meant to bolster him to be like, look, the people that are saying he's bad are the same people that lie to you about WMDs type shit. Well, I guess the question I have is, was this filmed... Was any of this filmed or shot before January 6th? Oh, yeah. Okay. Then to me, that's proof that they probably even interviewed David Knight. She was fully aware of his defection from InfoWars and maybe even interviewed him and decided not to include any of it in Mm -hmm. the film because he literally left at a protest during that whole fiasco. Um, So it's that's to me is really fascinating. Probably the most credible critical voice of Alex Jones who worked closely with him for a very long time is not even referenced in the documentary at all. I mean, that may seem small to some people, but like that's one of the biggest like InfoWars employees to ever leave. And why is Paul Joseph Watson not featured in here? It's not meant to do any real investigation of Alex Jones. It's to present a false image of him to people that have done zero research on Alex Jones. So they'll say, oh, this is the Alex Jones everyone's been talking about. Yeah, and that's why Owen Scheuer, who like his job depends on Alex Jones. Like Paul Joseph Watson's carved out his own space where he could have fair criticisms. Like you said, I mean, that's all for everyone to see based on the trial. But Owen Scheuer like is his minion. Like literally he is like puppeted by Alex Jones. And so his glowing accolades of Alex Jones as like this father God type figure is included to bolster the narrative that Alex Jones is like credible (laughs) and genuine. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It's almost like they're hoping that no one will go back and look and just sort of, you know, let this rebranding kind of just stick. Um, And it's weird. I mean, even like Tim Dillon, I mean, the only time I ever talked to him personally, he called me at like one in the morning one night, and he was like all excited about, you know, what did I think about Alex Jones? And and he wanted to like pick my brain about it. And then by the end of the phone call, he's like, hey, like, um, you know, I might be going to Austin like soon. And I was like, does he mean he's going on InfoWars? And then a few days later, he's like, hey, do you want to go on InfoWars with me? And I was like, 
yeah, if you let me just talk shit straight to Alex Jones's face, of course. I was like, let's do it. And then he just like ghosted me after that. So it's, I mean, it's really weird that even people like Tim Dillon, who seems pretty savvy and smart, would would just want to be part of that rebranding effort too. But again, none of like publicity he probably got from going on Infowars probably majorly boosted him. You know, it's like you get millions and millions of new fans probably when you go on. So it's kind of like a devil's bargain. And I, I just find it fascinating that people who are, you know, really into some of the conspiracy deep cut stuff would tolerate Alex Jones's blatant pathological lying. Well, um, let me let me explain <laughs> a little bit more about what the film um, shows, yeah, and then and then we can play some clips of the Q and A. So it opens with this kind of Swan Lake dramatic classical music. It's hilarious knowing now that Anna's from Red Scare's like partner did all of this, like to really make the film, you know, hit hard. Um, the uh, music's very manipulative. Like there's all these like inspiring swells and all the things to make like stuff that would just be totally uninspiring and just Alex Jones just seeming a little just whatever. It's just like the music's kind of manipulative to be like with you're talking about Barrett, Barrett Avner. I, I have don't know. no idea who what his name is, but whoever scored it is him. But yeah, but there's it says there's two people scoring it, and the other one is Ariel Pink. That, that no, it's that. not that. It's it's so yeah, it must be the Barrett guy. But um. To Mike's point, yeah, there's several rants that almost seem like Alex Jones at his best, like from Waking Life, with this inspiring music behind him explaining that, you know, history is a river and that you just pick up at your point in his like very like actually interesting kind of sounding rants, like about the media analysis, like deep critiques about history and the government and all this stuff. And so, um, first of all, it opens with like Owen Scheuer yelling about Antifa, like screaming about tyranny and the face masks and COVID and how this is basically ushering in communism. As I mentioned before, it's all juxtaposed with this kind of stop the steal insanity. Apparently there's a point in the documentary. I don't remember this, Mike. I'm, I must've tuned out that apparently it shows Alex Jones, like trying to stop people from going to the Capitol, like making it <laughs> oh seem my. like it's like his defense. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Uh, eventually has to go to trial. Yeah. Like somewhere. basically like, yeah. Showing him being like, oh, this has gone too far or something. I don't remember. That's what the knowledge fight people said. I don't remember that part. Um, but like I was telling you earlier, Robbie, a lot of it shows Alex Jones in the in the vein that we were talking about before with the early appeal, him talking about abolishing the militarized police, you know, early interesting footage of him that Glenn Greenwald calls um, very handsome, right? Him as a handsome young guy talking about really interesting things, bipartisan analyses of the deep state, of the overreach of government, of the police state wanting to like abolish government institutions. I was like, oh, shit, like critiques of the Iraq war. Um, and like you said, Mike, he's constantly lying about himself and his biography. So, for example, he claims he like builds himself up as being like, I read fucking all these books by the time I was 12 years old. Nietzsche and Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. And this like, was yeah, real right. history. <laughs> and then what's funny is he lands. He basically says that he read like every intellectual, like deep philosophical book by the time he was 12. And then and then what resonated the most with him is none, doll, none dare call it a conspiracy by Gary Allen, who was basically a prominent member of the ultra-conservative John Birch Society. Now, through all of this, Jones is painting his 
biography as how he was told about the deep state by his family was like involved and um, his family included some U.S. operative who talked about these clandestine missions that he took um, that exposed all the fucked up stuff that the government was doing. But then at the same time, we know what he was really saying on his show and what he said other than that. Right. But in the movie, it sounds like, oh, he gets like this inside knowledge from his own family about how they they were exposing the deep state. What is not really said, what's not really said is that his dad was a longstanding member of the John Birch Society. And so all of this is kind of background noise about that. The main influence was just his dad being like this conservative who was rooted in anti-communism, who was doing actual like speeches and presentations for the John Birch Society back then. So it's kind of like, okay, so it wasn't like you were open to this field of knowledge and then you chose your own path as this brilliant prodigy. It was that you just, like any other fucking kid, you were fed what your parents gave you. It's, it's fascinating. And it's just fascinating how many parts of his childhood are lies or how much he embellishes his... Um, all of his stories. I mean, like, for example, like, I think I played a clip, Abby, on the last psychedelic podcast about him talking about the DMT elves and yeah. how he's had hundreds of people off air tell him that there's a secret military base where they're channeling intergalactic communications with DMT aliens as part of a US government project. Now, a normal person who was trying to lie to sound convincing would say that he talked to someone who's high up off air. Now, why would you say you've talked to hundreds of people off air? No one would believe that in their right mind. Not even a total crazy person. It just doesn't, it sounds like a childhood tall tale. Um, he does that all the time. I mean, even he, when he was asked once how many women he slept with, he said something like 2000 or something. It's like, <laughs> are you the, so the Wilt Chamberlain of fucking and you're like the, it's, a, it's just very odd how much he pathologically lies and no and and he's really never been seriously confronted about just that specifically it's always like you're a kook like why do you say these things that are so destructive and harmful and whatever you know but it's like no one has really cut to the heart of him been like why do you lie so much just about your own self like what what is it you're trying to hide like what are you running away from what didn't he also say that he was like solicited for sex at like 11 years old from like black women or something he said some other crazy stuff about how he like was getting blowjobs or something oh um that he used to get a blowjob from a black girl down at like the schoolyard when he was 12 or something and but it's then like he, the age kept lowering like more <laughs> yeah, and yeah, more. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i mean it's and then there's another story he tells where he was said he was in the backseat of the car once and his mom was having a heated conversation with a CIA operative who was regretful about their a black op experiments to communicate with the DMT elves. And then wow. they were trying to like recruit his mom to start being part of like this DMT elves black ops experiment. So this is, this is why you cannot see this. If you know anything about Alex Jones, you cannot watch this film and see it as anything other but an intentional propaganda piece to rehabilitate or whitewash who Alex Jones is, which was a, through deliberate choices by the filmmakers. Because of what you're saying, number one, Alex Jones, the one, if you know anything about Alex Jones, is that he is a pathological liar, and none of that 
is addressed in any way in the film. And the other fact is that everything that he has said and has been saying for his entire career is completely omitted and replaced with completely different stories and narratives and presented as if that's the thing that he's always been saying or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Training exercise. I mean, yeah. Um, One really interesting aspect of this is like, you know, reviews like Variety, which I found fascinating, asks this. It says, doesn't this neutral perspective create a danger of making Jones look more reasonable and compelling than he is? I'd argue that's the film's strength. Alex Jones is a compelling figure to millions of his followers. He's not just an alt-right talk host you might disagree with. He's a cult leader. And if you don't grasp the fundamental appeal of that, you're keeping your head in the sand. If they make a biopic about Jones, and they should, the actor to play him would be Russell Crowe. And it's just like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? And, And one thing that I found that was a consistent narrative throughout these reviews is like, no one's going to go in there not knowing who Alex Jones is. Everyone knows who Alex Jones is, right? Just like everyone knows who Donald Trump is. So why not just let him speak for himself and like show you how just who he really is in his own words? And it's like, no, I would argue that a lot of people don't know who Alex Jones is. In fact, I went through the Rotten Tomatoes reviews and as predicted, it was either zero star or like five-star reviews and way more five-star reviews, not only from his sycophantic followers, but also a lot of people who were like, I didn't really know who Alex Jones was. I maybe heard yeah. something here and there that was like really sensational from like the, the media that I know like lies to me. And this was like the first account. I was like, oh, like this is Alex Jones. Like this is like a real stand-up yep. truth-telling guy. Like that that was honestly the takeaway from like all the reviews. Which is clearly the goal. That's the intent. I mean, if Alex Moyer, if she wants to call it journalism, what she did, you know, it's, this is journalistic malpractice. It's just such a dishonest betrayal. You know, Abby, you mentioned another thing that that the film doesn't address is that it doesn't address like the supplements part. None (laughs) of it shows him pushing his survival shit after he's fear mongering about concentration camps and COVID. Every 15 minutes in his The New World Order. I mean, he was making millions, he is making millions of dollars hucking dick pills and male vitality potion in between the constant fear mongering and red baiting about all of this, right? And that is, I think, almost the biggest disservice of all is that is who he is. You cannot show like one of these like evangelists of like a mega church if he's like a main proponent of like the slot buckets and making millions of dollars. Wouldn't that be like crazy disingenuous to not show him on these commercials selling the slot buckets in between the preaching which is exactly what Jones does. Every story is about whipping you up into a paranoia and a fear and a pessimism about this terrible future that's coming that he's warning you about. And the only way you're going to survive it is if you buy these fucking buckets of soup or these protein powders or these brain pills to counter the chemicals that they're putting in you and all this stuff. And so the, the fact that that's omitted, I mean, it just it's just another example of how this is, nobody can argue that this is just a complete, Propaganda. And the fact that it got good reviews and stuff like Variety is is just like pretty absurd also. Yeah, well, it almost seemed like the guy who was writing for New York Mag, it was like the kind of weird elevation of like people like Richard Spencer and Mike Cernovich. Like it was almost seen like these people were super dorky thinking these are the new cool kids and I need to do like a glowing review because I want to be like a part of this club. It was a really oh, strange article, read you guys. The, uh, read the comments he found about Alex Moyer. 
Oh my God. I mean, that was really interesting too. I mean, I, I kind of, no, I kind of alluded to it before. I, I read several oh God, comments. No, you have to read it. I read several comments of people saying, I knew her. She had, she was like the richest girl I knew. She was like a suicide girl. She just hopped from grifting from one scene to the next. She was like in the LA art scene. And then like, it just kind of seemed been like. trying to star fuck her way to, to popularity for yeah, kind of life. kind of glad <laughs> I, I didn't actually make my Alex Jones documentary because I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to have just like something like this come out and erase all the hard work I did to try to like expose him and as a pathological liar, you know, with all the clips that I was collecting and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, do, do you want to talk about, I mean, cause one of the things I think that's causing this, this reaction, Abby, that you're saying, are people like saying like, I didn't know who he was. This is, he's actually more fascinating than I thought. And the media has been sort of unfairly characterizing him. I think one of the maybe more brilliant things she did in the documentary to do that is to show a lot of his old clips where he does say things that sound very bipartisan. And he does make it seem like he's against both parties, even though he's a self-admitted conservative. But what people don't realize is how much he made like a hard 180 during the Obama era and started to completely plug into the mainstream, pretty much right-wing media machine, including even the Republican Party itself. Like he literally started to promote Ted Cruz, Sarah Palin. He started to... Um, even promote Donald Trump very early on during the birther stunt. Um, he started to be pro-police. And these things all happened very quickly. Uh, and he, he, of course, really heavily promoted the birther thing too. But like, I don't think people realize how much of a shift away from being this so self-proclaimed like bipartisan anti-establishment guy, he turned to being like generic conservative and not just generic conservative, but like generically placating the right wing media machine. And I remember even I was like talking, I still like would talk to Paul Joseph Watson back then. I remember asking him like, why is Infowars promoting Ted Cruz? Why is this? And he just would always like not answer me very, he would have like a very shady, not very good answer. And it was just like, it was weird. But then I guess the only reason I'm saying this is because he's, he shifted so strongly to being a generic conservative and so did his website that even before the Trump era, Abby, his website was aggregating articles from John Bolton's neocon think tank, the Gate Stone Institute. Infowars, a supposedly 9-11 truth anti-neocon website, was aggregating articles un uncritically, no commentary from John Bolton's neocon think tank that is Straight incredible up. dude yeah and when, i remember when i saw that i was like okay either alex Jones has been a controlled op this entire time or someone have eventually flipped him to basically just plug right in whatever you're doing is fully compatible with what we're doing now believe it or not including even a pnac neocon think tank i mean that to me was a remarkable you know, one, uh, you can't talk about a bigger 180 than that. I mean, it was that to me was a really clear turning point. And, and he's not unique in that websites that people worship still in the conspiracy movement like Zero Hedge. They also aggregate neocon propaganda yep. from the Stone Institute. And it's just like, dude, this shit feels like an op. I'm well, sorry. It's like totally synonymous. I mean, that I think that was the biggest danger of Trump. I mean, I 
I didn't have Trump derangement syndrome. I just saw Trump as elevating and mainstreaming conspiracy culture that traditionally came from like a more deep analysis of power and making it partisan, hijacking the conspiracy movement, folding it in to the right wing. And it was so bizarre. And Alex Jones played a hugely instrumental role in that where, like you said, zero hedge. Drudge Report became kind of an echo chamber of all of this, too. And Infowars, all of these websites all of a sudden just became synonymous with each other and started just echoing the exact same things. There was no distinction distinction anymore between like right wing media and alternative media and conspiracy media. It was just like one in the mm-hmm. same. And it was all painting Trump as some sort of anti-deep state hero. And that was really, really strange. Which and of totally course, unprecedented. Which is, of course, of why Trump played into it is because he knew that Alex Jones commanded a large and active audience. I mean, I guess if you would have pulled people at like the January 6th uh, thing, like how many of them listen to Alex Jones, it'd probably be quite a bit. Um, you know, it's it's it, that's why he's he's kind of a dangerous figure as like a cult leader. Because it's not just that he's some guy who goes out there lying all the time and gets a lot of clicks. He's able to activate... Uh, extremely unhinged and dangerous people, which is exemplified through the Sandy Hook case. I mean, the fact that he inspired that many people to make these parents' lives like miserable and actually try to kill them, and you know, the, the graves and memorials get defaced. You know, the fact, like all this stuff. It's that is, you know, he has a bit of power, and he's not some guy on the margins because he makes so much money. I mean, he's a big. He's a capitalist. I mean, he has at least tens of millions of dollars, but probably hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, behind this operation. And that's only in their what's their reported revenue. I mean, the term, the financial backers and stuff that he no doubt has, too, is probably pretty extensive. Just uh, bounce off what you're saying, Mike, um, that he was able to cultivate, you know, these these cultish followers who would commit horrible acts in his name. I mean, the Georgia Guidestones were just recently blown up with explosives. Yeah. Um, and when I saw that, I'm like, this wouldn't have happened if Alex, if it wasn't for Alex Jones. Do you know what's funny I mean, is in the Alex's war, this is because it was, this was before yeah. the Guidestones were blown up. It shows him like going to the Guidestones and talking about, talking about them and like interviewing, talking to people about like, this is Nazi stuff and right in the middle of, of Atlanta and whatever. And so that's, it, it's like they probably would have cut that if they would have known someone would have actually bombed it by the time the film came out. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, they probably would have. I mean, it's, um, it's very strange. I mean, I guess one of the things I just wanted to say too that um, before we move on to the Greenwald Q and A is that I don't think people realize, especially if you didn't come from the nine eleven truth movement or weren't very plugged into it. I don't think people understand how much of a monumental shift it was when Roger Stone was coming on Infowars like every other day during the Trump campaign and started dropping the bombs on Alex Jones' show saying that Trump knows that something's hinky about 9-11. He's basically a 9-11 truther. And that's not exactly what Roger Stone said, but this became a theme on the Infowars show during Trump's campaign, and I really think almost the entire journalistic class completely fucking missed just how big of a deal that was and how at that moment a ton of 9-11 truthers were, had already decided to vote for Trump and they weren't fucking looking back. And, that, and I really do think that that alone 
was a monumental shift to say that the president who's currently running, who the establishment's already gunning for, he's a secret 9-11 truther and he's going to reinvestigate 9-11 when he becomes president. That is a fucking huge marketing opportunity. And I don't know who came up with that, who strategized that, but that was one of the, I think one of the most brilliant things the Trump campaign did. And I, and barely anyone noticed. And I find that incredible because as someone who was a truther, I could see myself getting tricked by that when I was at the height of my like emotional, you know, heightened state and into the 9-11 stuff. Well, I mean, activation of something that was deep seated and like dormant. And so to have this guy come in, especially with all, like, this was all circulated, the Podesta leaks, Pizzagate was, I mean, it was such, it was like a bomb. Yeah. It was like several bombs that went off. And yeah, the activation, the magnet of Trump dropping those kernels of 9-11 truth throughout and having an operator like Roger Stone, who was very close with Trump. On Alex yeah. Jones every other day, people do not understand the gravity of that. And they don't understand the significance because they weren't plugged in. And they only know these kind of cartoonish aspects of who Alex Jones was. They weren't in tune with what that did, the impact and the influence that that had. Steve Bannon no. knew. Yeah. And I think it was a really long-term I don't know what Roger Stone's actual Machiavellian strategy was, but he got his claws into the conspiracy movement all the way back when you were still on RT, Abby. I mean, he had that very popular JFK conspiracy book that accused LBJ of being behind it. And that kind of set the stage for him eventually planting these seeds that Trump was a secret truther and Infowars being the conduit to spread that. Now, if you remember, Ron Paul basically was elevated entirely by Infowars. I don't even think he would have been able to run as a Republican in the presidential campaign and not been for the Infowars support, the money bombs. All that shit was very huge for Ron Paul. Trump's campaign kind of copied that model. And interestingly enough, Ron Paul, when confronted about it, he backed down, remember, at the debate. The, one of the first questions from Carl Cameron was, there's, there's a lot of people online who are 9-11 truthers who support you. Like, there are a large amount of, 9-11 truthers who make up your base. Do you think, and he like point blank asked him, do you think 9-11 was whips? And Ron Paul said like disavowed them all. I really do think that people in the Trump campaign were like, had studied all this shit, to be honest. And were like, w- instead of disavowing it, why don't we just dog whistle to it? And just like we're dog whistling to all this other shit that's activating the reptile brain. Just dog whistle our way to the presidency. I mean, and that's kind of what they did. I mean, even the, the anti-Muslim, the, the racist stuff, you know, it was never super. I mean, the anti-Muslim stuff was clear cut, but some of the other stuff was not very clear cut. It seemed like lots of signaling, lots of hints, lots of seeds, you know, and that 9-11 one was a really big fertile seed that I think made a lot of headway for their campaign. But I don't want to get us too off on that. Let's we should probably talk about the. Um, yeah, I mean, the I think the kind of thing that gets portrayed as what this film is about. You know, it's like, why why Alex Jones is popular? And it kind of puts in the framing is that, you know, he's actually a compelling and charismatic and, you know, makes a lot of sense and ends up being right about a lot of stuff. And of course he'd be popular for making sense and telling people the truth when the mainstream media lies to them so much and people know they can't get the truth uh, from cable news, which 
I think it's just a bullshit depiction of why Alex Jones is popular. I mean, clearly he's not popular because he's telling the truth, because that is his hallmark, is he takes headlines and then says they're saying something completely different without giving people, and then just people just believe him without actually going and looking up the story to themselves. I mean, it is the worst kind of malicious lying that you can do as someone with a media platform. Why is Jones popular? I mean, it's it's more of a uh, indictment of our society. I mean, I think he'd just more, be more popular in the U.S. than any other country. What kind of society breeds a large enough sector of the population that is just so susceptible to the kind of shit that Alex Jones puts out? I mean, it's more it's just kind of an indictment of of our political system, our economic system, and everything that there is a mass audience that exists who will become. Alex Jones sycophants and and cult members. It's, it's not because Alex Jones actually is right and the media is so bad. It's like uh, the media being bad is probably one tiny small part of it. But I think the bigger part is it's like the same reason we have a lot of fucking mass shootings. It's just because we're a fucked up country. Right. Yeah. I think that there's the only the only slight divergence I have in that thought is that our society is so fucked up and our country is so corrupt and we've committed so many war crimes and done so much shady shit over the years and some of it we're probably never going to learn the truth about like what actually happened to JFK who in the CIA was involved in that all those kind of things have just sort of accumulated in the American psyche you mean i mean even the su- succession of JFK RFK MLK being assassinated has created enough of a paranoid mentality among Americans where somebody like Alex Jones is a perfect magnet to sort of suck in and steer people in his direction. Um, It's not just the media. Yeah, the media lies and they've lied forever about all kinds of things. But it's, you know, it's more just like there was a void. He jumped in at the right time. He basically replaced a guy who just got killed by the feds and sort of took the mantle of his audience. Well, I mean, that's the... That's the supreme irony is to say that Alex Jones is popular because the media lies. It's like, well, Alex Jones is lying yeah, media yeah, yeah. also. So I guess that's also why cable news is popular because it lies to people well, and tells emblem- them what they want to hear. It's emblematic of the deep psychological effect of being lied to that you fall prey to a con yes. artist, whether it yeah. be Trump or Alex Jones, because they're cynically exploiting that fact that we are lied to and that we all have a deep distrust of institutions because of the history of the CIA, deep state operations, SCADs, all of these things. And Wars. It, and I, yeah. And I do think there want, there's this sort of almost like childlike mentality of of when you've been lied to and when you've been manipulated, you sort of feel like you're awoken to it. And instead of what would be the more logical path is feeling like I'm going to resist being lied to and manipulated from this point on. It's like, there's a desperation, like a, almost like a shock to their system where it's like, they need to grasp onto another liar or type of propaganda apparatus to soothe their, their hurting, painful soul. I mean, it hurts to realize that you are being manipulated and lied to. And that awakening for people, I think, can be very emotionally difficult. And it does make perfect sense how someone like Alex Jones is there, like almost like a Pied Piper. Like, you're hurting. Your soul is hurting. Like, I'm going to soothe your soul. 
Um, and that's kind of what he did for a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's really too bad because it's almost like this model, like let's say Alex Jones is a controlled op. Let's put on the full tinfoil hat and say he was groomed from the very beginning. It's almost sad and disturbing to think that in a society that gets increasingly corrupt, where there is a deep state that is doing fucked up shit all the time, that really only one person who's acting like they're the arbiter of railing against the system could be enough to like soothe people and give them some kind of catharsis that something like that things are going to change or that, you know, the establishment's going to be fought. It's like, it's sad in a way because it doesn't bode well for the future of humanity that like the more corrupt a government could get, that someone could just prop up like a controlled opposition figure to take everyone's rage and channel in a way that really ultimately has no positive effect and actually further harm society. I mean, it's, it's actually makes me really sad to think about how easy that is it's to do. It's too hard to be, to stand out alone and be an independent critical thinker of all sides. And that's why we see this problem of the reflexive contrarianism and the group think that's just anti-liberalism, anti-wokeism, funneling people into now just right-wing just dogma that's as old as everything. I mean, this is just a recycling of history over and over and over again. It's nothing novel. It's just repackaging old ideas, but it's working so well. And it's just sad to see because for me, I, you know, I've said this before, but I, I find the right-wing media sphere very damaging, corrosive, um, and cult-like, and it is a huge operation. There is no liberal media hegemony. There, There's two sides of the media apparatus that are pretty destructive in their own ways. And to minimize the extreme influence of the right-wing media machine, especially as it's cultivated this kind of conspiracism and folded it into now partisanship and pro-Trump ideology, it is scary. And it's bizarre to reject that and say, no, that, that, you know, it's all about the liberal media and we need to just like combat the liberal media. It's like, no, we need to actually look at both sides and criticize them because they're both super destructive and leading us into a really dark path. I mean, I think Alex Jones and his organization single-handedly have allowed the toxification and basically poisoning of the entire alt media space including even some left alt media, I will say. It's not just the right-wing media machine. Somehow this same conspiracy, you know, reptile brain, like, thing that he's been pushing this whole time has also infected that kind of alt media, too. And it's it's quite surreal to watch. Um, well, you know, you're right. It, that's that's the thing about this, uh, this rehabilitation film, Alex's War, and, like, the association of people like Glenn Greenwald with him now in a friendly way. I, I wasn't didn't meet you. Second, so the association of Glenn Greenwald with him in a friendly way, the Red Scare people in a friendly way, like the cool post left embracing him. Uh, this, this, the rehabilitation is working, and the the press around Alex's war, the film itself, the people that have associated with him over it, it's now no, it's not. Like so, you're saying early in his career, at one point there were people who were not on the fringes who were promoting him, and then he burned those bridges because he ended up being too out there for them. He has now found a new audience of mainstream people who are defending him and yeah. going to bat for him, even in the midst of the Sandy Hook trial. I mean, the fact that Alex's war came out 
I don't think it was just to influence the jury. Like, I don't think that that was the goal of like, maybe people in the jury will see this and then not hand him down a big settlement. But knowing that the Sandy Hook trial was so uh, despicable, I mean, Alex Jones didn't even show up for the parents' testimony. He's such a coward. He would not sit there when the parents testified, uh, but showed up every every other time he needed to be there. Um, they knew that that this was going to be very damaging to Alex Jones. Jones knew it was going to be damn, very damaging to him because finally, how p- much of a piece of shit he actually was was going to be on full display, and then he was going to get picked apart by the media. And Alex's war provided this contrarian thing, and actually these cool people like Alex's war, and why is why should we trust the media that just re- says reflexively to not like this guy? And then so you had all of these people defending him around the around the, in the context of the film as all these revelations were coming out in the Sandy Hook trial about how much he destroyed the lives uh, of these families. So just very deliberate and disgusting. I wanted to wrap up just <clears throat> commenting on how crazy it got under Trump, Robbie. Yeah. That Alex Jones really was the Pied Piper to lead millions of people, possibly tens of millions of people. You know, 20% of this country are Christian evangelicals. I don't know the extent of how many people in that category listen to Alex Jones on a regular basis, but the amount of money that Alex Jones is making every year leads me to think that it's quite a lot of people, right? A lot of fucking people are listening to Alex Jones and perhaps a large portion of those people are believing in every single thing um, as a staunch devotee. So the impact that he had on Trump's popularity cannot be overstated. The complete sycophantic worshiping of Trump that Alex Jones had where you saw him actually calling for martial law like wanting trump to like not only militarize the border and ramp up like this sort of like paramilitary force to go after his political enemies but also like virulent anti-communist anti-left let's like these are the these are enemies these are our enemies right I mean, it was just so crazy to just see him going from anti-police state, anti-tyranny to essentially embracing this this new authoritarianism as long as it was under the banner of Trumpism. He was also anti-military. He was anti-Pentagon. All these things shifted. It was almost like you could see it as like he groomed an audience for almost 15 years from transferring all their aggression and hatred against the federal government to leftists mm-hmm. like and whether it was his intention or not whether someone propped him to that or not that's literally what happened he became pro-police he became um pro-military in a lot of ways pro-military intelligence even pro rudy giuliani at a certain point which was actually very strange because he used to say Rudy Giuliani was involved in 9-11, just as an example of how bizarre his 180s have been. I mean, and the martial law thing, and particularly, Abby, was really fascinating because it's almost like, what's like the silliest prank you could play on the Patriot Infowars movement? Well, what if we got all of them to go from warning us about martial law being the end of the world to actually wanting martial law? Wouldn't that be funny if we got all these fucking people to actually promote it i mean it's kind of similar it it feels kind of like the bohemian grove thing i don't have no idea if this has happened but it's very fascinating to see 
it shift like that. And I have actually argued with people online. Some of our people who still listen to our podcast who are like, yeah, it was the left who was crazy about January 6th. Like nothing the right did even comes close. And I'm like, what about this Michael Flynn clip where he's calling for martial law to freeze the election count? And then the person responded saying like, yeah, that's totally reasonable. Like, that's not crazy at all. And I'm just thinking like, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> How did you fuck? Like, at what point did you go fully fucking psychotic? Because that is nuts to sit here and try to tell me that that's not crazy. That's also a goal of the film and the the premiere where he is interviewed is that he's not right or left. He's anti-establishment, which is just a complete obfuscation of his actual self-proclaimed politics. I mean, he is a conservative, like John Birch Society style, like wants like a like a Christian nationalist, like wants like a white Christian nation. I mean, he's, he's pretty open about this stuff uh, on his show. And then to present and, you know, like as Abby said, literally was calling for Trump to overturn the election through the force of the military so that he could stay in power. It's just like, and his like obsession and hatred of the left as well. It's like, you, how can you call someone not left or right if a frequent point of agitation is against the left specifically? I think you could call that person on the right if they're obsessed with the left. He spread the myth that, you know, millions of illegals like, let's not forget his right. virulent anti-immigrant right. stance, you know, not even undertones of white supremacy. I mean, like, really, like, super white nationalist kind of rhetoric, super anti-immigrant, um, super pro, like, border patrol and shit. And, like, saying that millions of illegals actually flipped the election, mm -hmm. you know, and these these ballots were just, like, you know, stuffing ballots in the machines and all that shit. He also helped organize and fundraise for Trump for the Stop the Steal rallies. Mm -hmm. He helped fundraise. Who knows how many millions of dollars he raised for that. He participated in the March of the Capitol himself. And he also posted an InfoWars video saying, we need to understand we are under attack right now. This is warfare. It's time to get on war footing. So I don't know how that's not a call to action, but... um to me, it, it sounds like one. Yeah, I feel like there could very well be some dramatic end to the Alex Jones story and that he's not just going to go late into old age just being a TV show host. I mean, it's like all this shit has all the makings of like, you know, some bigger conclusion. You know, people don't just continue to grow as cult leaders and as cult personalities and then without some kind of... uh dramatic conclusion i don't know i agree with that and i do th it, if i get really conspiratorial it really does seem like he's being lifted up just so he could be like martyred and <laughs> sort of be this like arbiter of some kind of positive force against the establishment still not saying that you know he won't flame out after that somehow but it does it is suspicious how much he's being lifted up right now how much attention he's getting there has got to be the other shoe's going to drop eventually, and I'm really curious what that's going to be. Luckily, he doesn't. There's not Trump in power anymore, where it's like Alex Jones has even like I feel like Alex Jones' power has slightly dwindled since Trump has gotten out of office. But it's still scary what he's capable of. I mean, I mean, there was a long time where I thought all Alex Jones had to do was tell people to pick up their guns and start the fight today. Right. I mean, right? He had that power even before Trump. I mean, and that's. I Ahead, First thing he said when I was on, I went on Counterpunch Radio like right after Trump won and said like, this is a really scary situation to think that Trump and Alex Jones are connected at the hip and and 
Trump could utilize Alex Jones for like a strategy of tension type scenario and really amp up violence in this country and do it through a proxy, essentially. And not saying Alex Jones was the cause of a lot of that, but it seems to kind of have worked out that way. Like other strategy of tension things definitely amped up under Trump. Um, and yeah. That's another reason why the film is so so bad is because you have this figure who is clearly a extremely influ influential right-wing cult leader who can inspire people to do dangerous things. And yet that is omitted and, and he's just treated as like someone who actually is, is right. And it's like, uh, hopefully we don't have a situation where we're like, in hindsight, that movie was a pretty big fuck up because you helped whitewash someone who ended up uh, inspiring some pretty bad shit. Uh, but, you know, that, that might be the conclusion that, that it has. Well, hopefully well, that legacy will remain with Glenn Greenwald because the fact that he flew out from Brazil to be a part of this giant premiere and really putting him himself out there as this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who has fought the deep state his whole career and blah, 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 blah. And then to go out there a week before this trial and do these questions to Alex Jones is beyond comprehension to me. It really is. I mean, he could have easily just asked a couple hard questions, you know, I it's mean, it was, it really pathetic. was, it, it's, it's like indescribable. You almost have to watch it yourself, but let's just play two clips here that I think really say it all, Robbie. And every single question is loaded. It's essentially Glenn Greenwald rambling and rambling, doing pro bono defense work, setting up what Alex Jones could say to excuse yeah. whatever the fuck horrible shit that I mean, he's that's, done. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. It wasn't just like a softball interview where he sets up Alex Jones to give a good answer. It's that Co he does that and then he gives Alex Jones the answer he should say. Yeah. Every yeah. question is like, are you doing this because this and then give some explanation of like, as your lawyer, this is what would yep. make you sound good. And then everyone Alex Jones doesn't even do it. He's like, ah, and just ends up saying <laughs> something crazy anyway. But it reminded me of Better Call Saul. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It reminded yep. me of... Um, the, the same thing. It's like a, it's clearly sleazy lawyering behavior, coaching someone in real time how to provide the least embarrassing responses. And I don't know if you guys were going to play these clips, but I wanted to mention one of the most fascinating parts of the whole Q&A was what Alex Jones said about January 6th. I don't let's know. If play, you, let's we play the question. Or? Yeah. So, Alex, let me actually begin by asking you a little bit about that in terms of your intentions and, and the like, because I when I remember when I watched the film, it was just so striking, this early footage of you. And I remember when the Internet first discovered some of the early pictures of you from your public access days in Austin. I remember liberals being almost horrified, like with this cognitive dissonance, like we're supposed to look at him as a screaming, spitting monster. And yet these these pictures are disturbingly handsome um, in this like very mainstream, normal Yikes. way. Um, you obviously from the beginning had a kind of charisma, a natural charisma in front of the camera. That's what people even said from the first time they saw you. And so when you combine these attributes that you had when you were young, I think you clearly <laughs> had you been somebody who was willing to affirm rather than question establishment pieties could have ended up as like a meteorologist on like Good Morning America or like some Anderson Cooper. You could have been a meteorologist or and Anderson Cooper. Why did you decide to matter so that? You were so hot and, and so smart and so brilliant and so good at what you do. For a different path, this kind of path of misfits wow, he's actually... that we're surrounded by delightfully. 
um, or whether it was just so natural to your personality that you never <laughs> even considered trying to, to pursue that kind of mainstream Wait, hold acceptability. On. I'm going to pause it really quick. It's amazing that basically what Greenwald is alleging is that Alex Jones was so principled and so concerned about mm -hmm. fighting the elites and the establishment that he could have taken a mainstream TV job. He could have been the new Anderson Cooper or the Anderson Cooper. But he was so real. He could have had the top show yeah. on CNN. He was so real that he had to continue to fight the fight on a public access show. Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to hear Alex's response because it's yeah. worthless. Yeah, it's I don't think Glenn's questions are so bizarre. It ends in the same way. So I guess. Yeah, no, I think that was thing. that it's was just, the question. It's just crazy that he starts it with that being yeah. like, you're so hot and you could have been so famous on mainstream cable, which is just not true. Who the fuck would hire Alex Jones? Yeah, so let's check out this next question from Glenn. Presenting Alex Jones is like this totally unbiased deep state critic. Okay. And how unfairly castigated he's been by the mainstream for being like a right-wing Trump supporter. <laughs> okay. Here we go. anybody. Yeah, we're going to talk about the mistakes for sure in, in a few minutes because it wouldn't be a complete discussion without that. Before we get to that, I just, I, you know, the question of your politics, I, I think is so interesting. And this is what was striking me watching the film is there's a the idea there's this idea you know if you ask somebody with what political faction or ideology is alex jones associated they would instantly say oh the far right and i'm watching you well before most people thought about doing it spreading huge amounts of skepticism and doubt about the cia the u.s security state you're confronting the fbi well before trump began spreading that kind of uh skepticism in republican circles you even are talking about the NSA before 9-11. You're warning about the dangers of exaggerating the threats of bin Laden and Al-Qaeda in order to kind of bring into a, a sort of authorita authoritarian imbalance. Lots of things that people very associated with the left. Sorry, I find that very interesting that Greenwald actually mischaracterizes his work. Yeah, here, stop it. Wait, I just want to say Yeah. what's fascinating about that is how is Glenn Greenwald like – Imagine if me and you, Abby, we just got into Glenn Greenwald and we were still in a 9-11 truth, how much of a big deal this would seem to us like 15 years ago would be like, oh shit, like Glenn Greenwald's going to talk about 9-11 truth. Like this is a big deal. And what's fascinating is there's, it's not just that it's not talked about and Glenn Greenwald still shits on people who question 9-11. Like Glenn Greenwald is like anti anything 9-11 truth or he still has like a bone, a bug up his ass about it for some reason. But even here... It's fascinating that he mischaracterizes Alex Jones's probably one of his most notable claims to fame, which was copying Bill Cooper's warning about an impending false flag attack where they will blame bin Laden. He's not Alex Jones wasn't saying they're exaggerating the threat of Al Qaeda and bin Laden. Alex Jones was copying what Bill Cooper said and saying, get ready. There's going to be an attack and it's not going to be bin Laden. It's going to be the CIA. That's basically what Bill Cooper said as well. So it's, I find it really fascinating that Glenn Greenwald finds a way to keep, even gloss over that. And, and why would even it's, it's, I don't even know what it means, but I just find that odd. So I'll continue it. You want me to continue it? Yeah. Okay. I've been saying for a long time, kind of opposing these institutions of, of, of authoritarianism, warning about how they exploit people's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We don't want to. Oh yeah. So it. no, I'll just, I'll just summarize what Alex Jones says. Okay. Cause he's just, it's worthless to listen to him. But he basically is like, exactly, Glenn. He was like, you know, I wasn't right wing or left wing. He was like, I just I just hated the deep state. I mean, that basically summarizes what he yeah. says for the next five minutes. He was like, you know, even, and this is where he tells the story about Martin Sheen and how 
he was celebrated for criticizing Bush and how he didn't he didn't think of himself as right wing, Robbie. He wasn't nested in the John Birch Society anti-communist stuff for the last fucking 20 years, this Christian nationalism type mentality that, you know, it just happened to be bipartisan when the Bush administration was in power. It's just so crazy that you can frame that today. Like you said, 15 years ago, it would have been really interesting that Glenn Greenwald was doing this interview and it would be like, oh my God, like a big deal. Today, after Trump is president, after we know what Alex Jones's role was to actually pretend like he's a bipartisan figure is shockingly I'm bipartisan, but I want the president to use the military to come in and declare martial law so that the next administration cannot uh, take its place after having won the election. You know, what's interesting is I feel like this whole process for Glenn Greenwald is almost like self-serving in the sense that this is a way to rehabilitate and reinforce his own the image he wants to project of himself that he's somehow postpartisan and that Glenn Greenwald is like mm. unfairly maligned by as being a right winger now. Mm. Like I really do feel like this is part of what has motivated Glenn to want to do this for Jones. Cause maybe he even sees himself as being in a similar position. And oddly you could kind of argue that Glenn Greenwald played a similar role in alt media that Alex Jones did, but being more like an academic like lefty guy who was appealing to more like an academic left political class of people, but maybe arguably was also some form of controlled opposition. I mean, the amount of focus and attention Glenn Greenwald got for being like criticizing Obama's drone wars and stuff, it was a little bit overboard. And I don't, I'm not saying that he was or anything, but it is interesting that like he did come from the Cato Institute. He was getting funded by very rich people very early on in his career. It's not like Glenn Greenwald climbed up from nothing i mean i kind of see them almost like they have a similar role in whatever this political system matrix is and the legitimization of trump and taking his rhetoric at face value yeah and and also wars at free assange all that stuff was i mean i would yeah i would argue glenn greenwald's influence on that movement was incredible it's hard to quantify the influence that glenn greenwald had to fold people into trusting that trump was serious well, not just trusting that Trump was serious, but also like shifting people away from that idea that it's like this is a bipartisan corruption. Right. It's the liberal elites who are right. the real issue. Yep. And, you know, he started saying that also, like when he became probably a regular paid Fox News contributor as well. Um, and it's it's very, very fascinating to also think about it. If you really zoom out from all this, regardless of what you think of Snowden, regardless of how you feel about those leaks, the effect that they had on society arguably is kind of similar to the effect that Alex Jones has had on society, which is instilling fear and paranoia in the American public's mind that was not soothed or swabbed in any way by either individual. Glenn Greenwald in the intercepts $250 million budget never even wrote articles saying, now that you know you're being spied on, here's what to do to like mentally deal with this and not spiral out and be paranoid and in fear and have a chilling effect, you know, similar to Alex Jones. It was never like, what do we do about all this corruption? Just rage about it. That was his solution. It was never like, here's how to be like mentally healthy while in this system. And I find that very fascinating that both people kind of help perpetuate a climate of heightened fear and paranoia about this country that 
is justifiable in certain ways, but it's also kind of interesting how they parallel each other a little bit. I, I don't know. It's a completely random thought I just had, but if you want to comment. Let's, uh, let's close it out by hearing that last. The Sandy Hook one. Probably one yeah. of the most significant sure. ones, because this really is like, if there's any example of the pro bono defense lawyering, shady lawyering, the Saul Goodman style gravitas that that Glenn Greenwald basically hands to to Alex Jones here this is it yeah okay. and this is also significant because the when you're in, if you're a journalist if you call yourself a journalist and you're interviewing someone like Alex Jones who is a professional liar and to not give him a single a single question that is in any way hard at all I mean, you're just doing propaganda. I mean, that's what you're doing. This this entire interview is is propaganda for Alex Jones, proven by the the, the tone of it throughout, which people should just go and find it. It's actually funny. Also, this video is called Glenn Greenwald interviews Alex Lee Moyer and Alex Jones, and it's 45 minutes, and he does not ask Alex Lee Moyer a single question. I don't think it's just she just stares at her lap. The I whole think time, that but. yeah, it's really awkward, and I think that he did interview her before. Or he interviews Alex Jones, but it's weird that this whole thing is just oh, Alex right. Jones and him. Um, one other clip that I totally forgot about that we didn't play is him. Oh my God, hold on one second. I want. I kind of wanted to play the clip about him responding to how January 6th was a setup. I don't know if you guys know where that is in there, but... I think that's the same one. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. There's two different ones. One of them's about to stop the steal, and the other one's about Sandy Hook. No, we should play The January 6th one is good because it's another example where Glenn gives him the answer he should give, and then he's like, no, I'm just going to give a crazy answer. Oh, yeah, I remember. Hold on. I remember what I was going to say is that Glenn introduces this whole thing, which we didn't play the introduction, to him basically saying like, if he if Glenn did like like speaking to your point, Robbie, that Glenn sees himself in Alex Jones, Glenn actually kind of says that in so many words. He's like, I he was like, if I, my life chose a different path, I would be like probably hanging out on MSNBC talking to Rachel Maddow. And he was mm-hmm. like, but I chose a different path. And he was like, and I and I'm so happy to be in this room of like misfits and all these people who are who are cast out by yeah. the liberal elites and like the establishment. And it's just like what the fuck it's just this crazy self-aggrandizing notion that you would be i don't know it's just super weird it's like i could have been huge i mean what's way bigger than i am but i chose you guys what's also weird about all these people who rightfully think rachel maddow did a lot of damage during russiagate and became like the face of that is they don't seem to think tucker carlson is like the same thing even though he's literally Rachel Maddow's mentor, and they still regularly hang out and have a very close relationship. He literally, Tucker Carlson literally mentored Rachel Maddow, and she owes her entire career to him. She's yeah, still you see those, there's, there's like hundreds of clips of them favorite, like just hanging yeah, out on TV still, together. She even still won't say an ill word about him. She still talks very positively about him. It's fascinating that here we have this false divide where it's like, Rachel Maddow is the evil and Tucker Carlson is the only good voice on TV. It's like, dude, I'm sorry, but Tucker Carlson's Nicaragua trip in college is is some of the most suspicious shit I've ever heard in my life. So if you think Anderson Cooper CIA because he's a Vanderbilt, then you're an idiot for completely shielding yourself from stuff about Tucker Carlson. It's 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 shocking, actually. Um, But can we play that clip about where he's talking about January 6th? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. 
Tim, so we came in. It, it, January 6th in closing was a dud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. it was meant to provocateur us into a violent event wow. that was meant to get out of control. Thank God it failed. And so, so I feel like I've been rocking the edge right? of the death. And so January 6th to me is very serious. Let me ask you about the underlying cause of, of January 6th, which nominally at least was the idea that there had been widespread fraud in the 2020 election, that Donald Trump actually won these states like Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and others, and that because of fraud, they had swung the rightful victor, which is Donald Trump, to Joe Biden. There was a point in the film where you were talking about Sandy Hook, and I thought something you said was very poignant, which is <laughs> anyone can kind of get carried away in their ideology, where you start almost becoming so anti-establishment. I definitely feel this myself sometimes, that you kind of want to cast doubt on the what the establishment is saying simply because they lie so often that you want to kind of make the point that these are untrustworthy institutions independent of the argument you're making. Wow. In this case, where you were this saying there was amazing. widespread fraud, did you actually conduct what you feel like is kind of a meticulous, a forensic analysis of the voting patterns and conclude wow. that there was fraud this in these states sufficient to have won the election? Or was this kind of an ethos, like a way of saying... Was this an ethos? <laughs> was this an ethos? So against Trump from the beginning in illegitimate ways that I'm going to kind of endorse this cause, not because it's necessarily true in its particulars, but more as kind of a thematic way of protesting. Uh, no, I mean, I'll be honest, which, the, which the establishment doesn't Play some of Alex's answer. It was a, yeah, no, it was a pre-baked deal that obviously Biden's not going to get more votes than Trump. And, the, and we saw all the weird, you know, anomalies and like Democrats blocking the windows and people like feeding machines full of things. And so we saw some evidence, and, but we were expecting it. Wait, 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 and, wait, wait, wait. And so yeah, you can say it's, it's so funny that he says we were expecting it. It was baked in. I mean, I just played, uh, Abby, you weren't on this episode, but the, I think the last solo episode I did, I played the clips of Bannon basically laying out exactly what's going to happen. That once Trump, you know, Trump's, if he takes a dip in the polls, or, you know, after the election, he's going to say he's the winner He's going to say the votes of fraud and it's going to get fucking crazy. Like Steve Bannon lays it all out. So that's what Alex Jones probably let it slip, actually, that it's pre-baked in. In a sense, he knew what the he knows what the plan was and he knew that they needed that he was like part of the rollout. I mean, obviously, that's kind of what he's saying right there, I think. I mean, I don't know if, if you guys agree, but. No, I mean, it's, this is just an incredible question and answer because it's Glenn saying. As your lawyer, here's what you should respond to this question yeah, yeah. that will make you look good and be able to deflect blame. And then Alex goes, "No, no, no, no. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna do the thing that you're recommending. I'm just gonna say we knew it was gonna be stolen before it even happened, and we and saw the was, ballots being stuffed, and it was actually a stolen election, and they yeah. did, they did rig it, and Trump did actually win. And so he like gave him, he tried so hard to set him up. That's why it's not even a softball interview. He's trying to set him up and tell him what to yeah. say." That will give him an out and make him look credible. And then Jones doesn't even he's like, no, I'm I'm Alex Jones. But then Alex Jones goes on to say, like, but yeah, you're right. Like, we should have known that Biden would end up winning anyway. And so we should have just like conceded and just like fought against him because he's been exposed as such like a horrible president who's like, yeah, authoritarianism anyway. So it was just like crazy that Glenn throws the ball to him where it's like, was this an ethos that you were just like so anti-establishment? Robbie, 
he was, was just so a, anti-establishment. It was a symbol. It was a symbol. Yeah, it was just a symbol of your anti-establishmentism because you'd been lied to for so long. Which is long. also funny because Alex Jones on his show leading up to Stop the Steal had been saying, if Biden takes office, it's the end of the country. We're being sold off to China. Martial law. It's just like he was doing all that fear-mongering of it's all over. If Biden yeah. ends up being able to take office, our democracy is done. The Constitution is done. China's taking over. We're going to be communists. Da, 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 da. And then so, but of course, that doesn't come through in the uh, questioning at all. I mean, everything Greenwald is saying here to him in regard to this specific thing about Stop the Steal, the same logic, I guess, the framework could be applied to anything in the right-wing media that's like weaponized right. disinformation. Right. Like the birth certificate thing, the Pizzagate, yep. anything. Yep. You could make the same thing and being like, well... Just because you didn't, you know, maybe it's not true, but you were just kind of using it because you you just really want to get one over on the establishment. I mean, that's like you're just fighting. And they deserve fight. it because they deserve mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Using weaponized disinformation to fight the establishment because they lie so much and justifying it. You're right. It's you're fascinating. Right. And then Glenn Green, Greenwald almost basically says that he's fallen prey to it before, too. And it's like, OK, I mean, but one I wanted to play another part of this clip that I think is really yeah. fascinating yeah. because. Alex Jones is one of the only people, even people on the left, still like double down and die on the hill of being like, that was nothing on January 6th. Like, are you fucking mm -hmm, kidding me? Like, mm -hmm, why, are you, mm -hmm. why are the libs still talking about this shit? It was oh, fine, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. No, that, like, no, you're right. This is bullshit for these fucking weird contrarian leftists who also want to give Marjorie Taylor Greene a fucking back pat every two seconds. The same fucking idiots who do that were saying, we're just downplaying January 6th like it was nothing. You know, simply because the libs are making a big deal about it. Here's what's fascinating. Alex Jones has a more honest sounding answer than even some of those leftists who downplayed January 6th. Now, listen to what he says. I just step back and said, Biden, just sink the ship and see what happens. Because, man, I'm not a revolutionary leader in like war. I'm not trying to lead troops. I don't have some weird thing in my head like I need to be a military G.I. Joe guy. And but when you get a million people in D.C., it doesn't matter. Even if they're being manipulated, you steal your responsibility. So I have a lot of guilt over January 6th uh, because it could have gone really bad. If the federal provocateurs had their way, if they would have, the Q people would have actually kidnapped Mike Pence and Pelosi and put them in handcuffs. <laughs> Woo, we'd be in martial law I mean, right now. That is absolutely fascinating to me that yep. Yep. regardless of what level of truth he's trying to speak there, that is true. Like that is partly oh, right. True. All the people downplaying it being like, oh, you think they were actually going to try to detain Mike Pence and detain members of Congress, like all that stuff. It's like Jones is being like, yeah, that's that's uh, he's literally saying that would happen. And he's also deflecting responsibility. He's he, this is what's fascinating about the level of sociopathy he's operating on. This is brilliant level. I think like if you were if you're watching an interrogation video and a criminal was answering questions this way, I think you would almost be like impressed by the level of genius and Machiavellian thinking to try to like take the cop's eye off the ball. Cause what he's saying here, he's acting like he's responsible. Could have been a lot worse. He led all these people there. And if the federal provocateurs got their way, really bad things could have happened. And he would have felt really guilty about that. But yep. he's also simultaneously absolving himself from having anything to do with QAnon. He's acting like he wasn't the origin of it via Steve Pachenik, which his show most definitely was. He's also not even mentioning the fact that Steve Pachenik came back on and came up with this watermarked ballot thing, acting like 
the election had already been won for Trump and Trump was going to expose it all by showing the watermarks and all the ballots, like some bizarre, elaborate conspiracy. I mean, all this stuff, Alex, this is why David Knight actually quit Infowars because he would just like, I can't take this Steve Pachinik shit anymore. Why are you continuing to let this guy on? He's basically seems like he's a CIA agent, David Knight said. But it's fascinating that Alex Jones is admitting that it basically to him, it was all a setup to get martial law. Now, it's that's a nut that is literally a 180 from where he was before that encouraging martial law along with Michael Flynn to stop the count. It is absolutely bizarre to hear him oscillating back and forth. First, he's warning against martial law for years and years and years. Then all of a sudden when his candidate seems like he's going to lose, now he wants it along with a neocon military intelligence psychopath to stop the count. And then now he goes back saying, oh, if, 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 they, if it happened the way the feds wanted to, we would have had martial law. It's like, dude, you were calling for martial law. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's almost, it's fascinating because like he could go a little bit further and say something even more truthful and be like, you know what? I was set up to, to basically lead all these people by people like Michael Flynn. I don't know who, what side these people are on. I got fooled. I got tricked into basically being a provocateur just like the feds provocateur people like i was a provocateur and now i'm questioning the whole thing like that would that's an actual you know if he wants to have an about face that would be a way to address it instead he's acting like it's just fascinating the way he's rewriting history just within the last two years i know that this is not what he used to say about january 6th originally he well, was originally saying it was all antifa that there was yep. no violence that there was no there was no chance of anything. I mean, just it was just it's just fascinating to hear the 180. So sorry. Well, it's just so funny that he, there's no follow ups. There's absolutely right. no follow up questions on any of these things. It's just taking his words at face value just after like doing film. these very easy layups that it just would be a slam dunk for this dude. Mm -hmm. And let's drive this point home by ending with the Sandy Hook question, because yeah, this me. is the perfect example of where the utility of Glenn Greenwald. Or Alex Jones as his lawyer. Okay, let me uh, try to find as this a lawyer. I will not be judged by these people. Wow. So, you know, I mentioned before, I, I want to ask you a little bit about Sandy Hook. I know the expectation is I'm supposed to come here and bash you over the head about Sandy Go ahead. I deserve I, it. I know I have no interest in doing that. I don't give okay, a Okay, I'll actually pause it really quick because I do want to say something really funny here. It, Glenn starts this question by saying, Everyone expects me to come over here and hit you over the head about Sandy Hook, you know, that like nothing thing that liberals are all mad about, which we know is uh, not the fucking case. Um, and then Alex Jones actually says to him, yeah, man, I totally get it. If you want to seem credible in this interview and if you want to make yourself look good, you have to at least ask me a hard question about Sandy Hook. So bring it on. Like, I'm ready. I'm expecting it. And obviously, this is the thing that you need to do. Uh, and then Glenn says... Nope, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that is amazing, dude. Alex is like, yes, do it. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. need to do this. Otherwise, everyone's going to talk, make like ex rightfully expose you for being a fucking hack. Even the movie did it. Even the movie covered the uncomfortable wow. thing about Sandy Hook. But like Glenn doesn't even do that. Yeah. So then get back to this fucking five minute long question that Glenn has answering it for him. 
You've been deposed about it. You've talked for hours about it. People interested in the particulars can go watch that if they want. I'm not going to jump through hoops in order sure. to like appease people angry <laughs> that I'm here. I do, though, want to ask you about a question that I'm actually interested in myself, which is, you know, you have just you just said that that you have made mistakes. Obviously, one of those is the stuff you said about Sandy Hook. We watched you in the film come very clean about the fact that you made statements that turned out to be untrue. You've obviously spent a lot of kind of reflective time. It's like the soulful Alex Jones we got to see in the last part of the the film. What is it that you soulful, think baby. caused you to do that? Um, I mean, you you reference some things I you know, and I just I identify with. I'm it sorry, myself, but can I? When, I have to pause yeah. it for a second. I have never seen in my entire life a documentary film screening Q&A where the director sits with their head down in the middle of two other people talking and is this silent for the Q&A. What the fuck is happening? It makes, you, just, think that, yeah, it makes you think that she was kind of a puppet. That is so fucking weird. She literally seems like. She has nothing to say. I mean, maybe I would probably have to watch this whole thing to see what she says, but surreal. I'm sorry, I'll continue it. Yeah, no, it, it gives more credibility to the fact that she was kind of just the figurehead for this thing. Or, or whose job it is to spread disinformation or accusing you of doing that, you kind of want to dig in a little bit and and not give an inch to people who you know aren't criticizing. Not give an inch. You wanted to just no. dig in. How hmm. kind of groups function? Have you thought about some of the psychological and cultural <laughs> dynamics I mean, that, that led you to, to make some of those mistakes? with China. Well, sure. Think of this like a thousand-page book. Okay. Oh, so we don't need to hear Alex's answer. Um, but like Glenn's yeah. question, I mean, first of all, to like kind of deflect it to, you know, everyone gives you shit for being this Sandy Hook guy. But in the film, we saw this soulful Alex Jones who's like ha has a heart and is caring and all this shit. It's like the thing that the Sandy Hook case teaches you is that Alex Jones does not give a fuck about the people that he harms, even when it is bereaved parents of kids who got shot in the fucking head, whose lives are turned upside down for a decade, who can't even visit their kids' graves, who are begging him, please stop saying this shit that you know is not true because it's sending people to our house to shoot us and making us move up a hundred times. He did not fucking care. Like, what? you do not have a soul. You are not a soulful person if you are willing to do that to parents that are in mourning from the worst thing uh, that you could experience. And then also to do what a lot of the media did, which was be like, yeah, and then you realized you were wrong and you admitted it and all this stuff. That's not fucking true. He is still saying that actually maybe it was the FBI that did it and there wasn't a real shooter. He is still, still, even on the stand at the fucking trial, he is still saying that, you know what? Still something fishy about Sandy Hook. I don't believe the official story. But so Mike, it's just, wasn't it because the mainstream media was such known liars that you just wanted to almost dig in you wanted to almost it dig was their in just fault to, it, was it was their the media's fault because of wmds so you just it, you almost just had this reflexive urge to just like dig your heels in a little bit even if you knew that it wasn't true like what was making you tick like why did you do that um was it just the ethos of like the vitriol against like what the mainstream media did to you it had nothing to do with that with, with the fact that you were making hundreds of thousands of dollars per day doing sandy hook segments no no it must have been that you just had this uh, ethos against the establishment that you had to run a counter narrative. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't really know what to make of it's, it's so baffling to watch this. I mean, 
on one hand, it's it's disgusting to see Gunn Greenwald elevating him like this and giving him such softball interview, but it's also just like, what is happening here? I mean, it's, <laughs> sorry, it's, 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 no, it's really true. suspicious. And I think it's very odd still that Alex Jones is this famous and like 9-11 is still like way more taboo now than like talking about UFOs, which have been like mainstreamed by like people in the military. It's such a weird situation we're in right now. I, it's hard to process it all. Like, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Cause it's, I don't know. I mean, that's why I was listening to Alex Jones from the very beginning and to see all that go by the wayside. And I, I just can't process it. And it is very strange for me. And Glenn's right. He, he has dug in more. I mean, that's why he's actually promoted neocon propaganda about China. Cause it's like, you know, he's on Tucker so much at a certain point, it's like, he's, he's literally digging in more in the sense that he's literally echoing the same neocon propaganda that Tucker does about China on a, a totally on his own. Now, I mean, Glenn Greenwald is literally doing that. So I don't even really know what to say about Glenn. I don't, I don't know what his deal is. I don't, I mean, but honestly, I do that at the end of this podcast, I'm starting to feel like him and Glenn Greenwald play an extremely similar functional, useful role for the people in power in this country. Mm -hmm. And I never really fully realized just how much of a cog Greenwald is in that wheel until just now. And he's also making it seem like it's not crazy to just wholeheartedly embrace these right-wing ideas and ideology mm -hmm. and talking points. And what's extremely fascinating is Glenn Greenwald has gone so far in this direction that he now actively defends Ron DeSantis in a similar contrarian way that he did Trump. It goes even further than that. Glenn Greenwald is regularly having a great time on Twitter with Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pouchois, who literally worked for the Georgian government planting like propaganda stories about Russia and Trump being a Russian Manchurian candidate while working for Saakashvili, who's basically like a neocon plant leader of Georgia. I mean, it's such a bizarre thing to think. And then there, I, say, I saw a chat with both of them being like, look at this Liz Cheney, this Russiagator neocon. And they were going back and forth about how disgusting Liz Cheney was. And it's like, dude, you are literally a neocon who's now like all of a sudden rebranded as the right populist um, uh, press secretary for Ron DeSantis. And Abby, like we were talking about before, like how Ron DeSantis seems like he's there to sort of usher back in all the Republicans on the populist right into being just full-blown neocon again. That kind of came to light even more clearly today. David Frum endorsed Ron DeSantis today wow. on Twitter. The circle is complete. I hate to say I was right, but this shit is shaping out exactly like I thought it would. And it's, it's kind of almost too, too predictable. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any comments on that, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, there's probably so much more to say about Jones, but I mean, it's like, it's kind of Tarantino obsession, but <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I think the, well, because it's like, he's part of this rehabilitation yeah. campaign or mainstreaming of Alex Jones, which, which is so ironic because again, it's the mainstreaming of intentional misinformation that is meant to harm, uh, harm people in a, in a large way and to divert real political anger in the wrong. It's just like, it's, 
it's so fucked up. I mean, this guy's fucking lying. And then you have all these people that are trying to make him seem like he's actually this person that we should understand. And it's all the stuff that he got wrong. It's not really his fault. It's the media's fault and all this stuff where, you know, he has no responsibility for the harm that he's caused or the lies that he tells or whatever, and that he should be treated as actually a, a truth teller or someone of value and not someone who uh, could very well, you know, lead to some darker shit in the future, even though he already has inspired some pretty dark shit already. But yeah, I mean, it's the, the guys of, uh, just a, one of the other big liars in media, perhaps one of the biggest big liars in media. And yet because the liberals don't like him, he has somehow turned into, actually, he's not just another one of these liars in the mass media, because he is in the mass media. I mean, when you get millions of views a day on your stuff, you know, you are in the mass media, you're reaching masses of people. He's just another person in mass media who's intentionally lying to a lot of people. And he's somehow not being treated that way just because liberals don't like him and don't like him for good fucking reason. Yeah, I mean, it is just sad that, again, this weird dichotomous narrative has emerged about Jones and there's no nuance there and there's no real like deep dives and deep cuts about who Alex Jones is, why he was popular, why people like us were intrigued by him early on, why he did have this enormous influence in the anti alternative media scene and why he has been so destructive and damaging for the true reasons it's something that no one really does correctly and also when you do have mainstream critiques of him that are founded in some truth it kind of comes along with the territory that it's you know calls for deplatforming and associations with dangerous speech that should be removed online and stuff like that and it's just it's just unfortunate that we can't have an honest discussion about the damage that he's caused and why he's such a dangerous figure currently and will be in the future. And that's why it's so grotesque and disappointing to see people like Glenn Greenwald, who I used to greatly admire, doing these things, rehabilitating him to such an extremely disingenuous degree where you are completely whitewashing who we all know Alex Jones is. No, not from the way the liberal media depicts him, from how we know him for yeah. two decades. I mean, that's the thing. It's like someone could maybe watch this and think, oh, Glenn Greenwald must have done his homework and very familiar with Alex Jones or Alex Baden-Meyer must have done her homework. After all, she made a full-length documentary. But by all appearances, it either seems like they deliberately are omitting things in a very manipulative way or they literally are completely fucking ignorant about who Alex Jones is. And either one is inexcusable to me. I mean... Well, it, don't make a documentary about someone if you're this fucking out of your depth and someone uh, got uh, made a much better documentary about him actually delivering the promise that they claimed an unvarnished unbiased take on Alex Jones that lets him fall on his own sword because the if you spend enough time with the guy he'll reveal himself automatically as being an abusive narcissistic sociopath he's so abusive in fact that I'm I'll, I'm gonna talk a little shit about Burmis right now that Burma spent two years with me on his own show. Me and him would both bash Alex Jones together, talk about how he's controlled opposition, say tons of shit about Jones, basically revealing him to be a liar. And because of how narcissistic and much of a control freak and how like intimidating Jones is, he basically got Jason Burmas to work for him again. And now Jason Burmas is back at InfoWars. So that speaks to the, I think the power and level of like abusive influence Alex Jones has then get Burmas to go back, crawling back to him. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of shocking. Um, He's a bully. 
He's, he's a, a bully, bully and he's an yeah. abuser. And that's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've witnessed the power of him firsthand where you cower because of his dominating just aura. And it's really, and he's very intense and very intimidating figure. And I can only imagine the people whose jobs rely on him and whose relationship, relationships relied on him uh, yeah. to, to fold. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I have to say about it is like, the fact that the film is not really a portrayal of Alex Jones, it's the Alex Jones that Alex Jones wants you to see him as. Uh, this Glenn interview and the defense of Alex Jones around the Sandy Hook trial and around the film from other people like Taibi and other uh, people who are commentators who are on Twitter but also have their own uh, YouTube shows and all that stuff, it is also, again, falling for the same thing. It is Alex Jones being able to give the narrative of what's happening versus what the reality is. And so the idea that the only reason the liberal media is focusing on Alex Jones is because they hate him for being anti-establishment or they hate him for telling the truth about this or that, or he's dangerous to them. And that's why they're making such a spectacle out of the trial. I don't think that's true. I think Sandy Hook was a pretty like historic event. 20 children, fucking six years old, were murdered in the worst mass shooting that anyone can think of uh, in modern history. And and if, say Alex Jones wasn't Alex Jones, say he was just this new guy who had no history, never done anything, and all he did was become famous for spreading Sandy Hook conspiracy theories and got all defamed these families, got people to harass them and cause the amount of pain he did. And then that guy, not the Alex Jones with this history of truth telling or whatever, was on trial for defamation. It still would be a pretty big trial and followed pretty closely in the media and whatever, because just that story of Sandy Hook happening and then in this fucking bonkers ass country, not only do we have this really horrific mass murder of children in a school, but that then we have this mass movement come around it that says that it's these are all actors and none of it's actually real. I think that's a pretty major story in American society. And regardless of who Alex Jones is or who he talks shit about or who he exposes or whatever, it would still be a pretty big story. And you're falling into his trap, I think, if you're um, trying to call it anything else. You're the mark. You are the mark, and Alex Jones wins in the end. Exactly, and it's 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 sort of trying to taint this whole idea of questioning authority at the very base level. It's like we want to have a healthy flow and breadth and reach to feel like we can question authority and question official narratives, right? But the more that there are people like Alex Jones poisoning the well and going just a step further than what seems normal and logical to question things, or I, I say that minimally, a step further. It goes a lot further than that. But it like aims to make people, I think, in a larger sense, be more ashamed to automatically check in with their gut and question the things they're being told and they see because of people like Alex Jones. It creates almost a, a knee-jerk reaction in the other direction where it's like, you know, well, I don't want to be like one of these crazy people. On one level, it's almost like a self-shame. But on another level, it's like it makes people less interested in looking at that stuff because it's the domain of crazy lunatics. And I do think that that has a very profound effect. And I think it's really, it's really interesting how it's really only taken one person, Alex Jones, and then really Trump, who kind of almost became like this version of Alex Jones, but president, to discredit so much of that so fast that now even a term like the deep state is mocked or 
false flag has become a tainted term. I mean, it is pretty remarkable how that happened. It's harder to have analytical, thorough critiques that are analyzing these things now because the noise completely overshadowed it. The vitriol, the noise, the hyperbolic talking points for partisan information war. It's like it's set back alt media so far. It's kind of disturbing. Um, and I don't really know what could be done about it at this point, honestly. You We're almost have to, to mm-hmm. you almost have to just have people who who don't make money off of this stuff or who really are just spending months and years of their lives doing investigative research and bringing it to the public in ways that is not a money-making endeavor. And I, I'd say, I'm not saying that everybody needs to do that, but I do think all these little mini monetizations, everybody on Patreon, everybody on YouTube, it's created sort of this almost like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, it's just main, it's be turning everybody into more just like a mainstream churning out sort of, um, you know, like ratings, clicks. It's the, basically the same thing. I mean, so that's why things like Empire Files are really good. Other platforms that don't have to put out content every day. I mean, that becomes, you're just sort of emulating the mainstream media. Um, and anyways, I just want to told tangent, but. That's true. I think that people know instinctively who is on the right path, who's doing all of this to just generate clicks and sensationalism and mimicking all the worst aspects of the corporate media that we initially got into the space to reject. Mm-hmm. And those people shine through, you know, and that's that's what we just have to keep doing. We just have to keep our head high and keep doing the work that needs to be done. And yes, that doesn't mean churning out mindless content that's just reacting to whatever this the news de jour is or whatever the hype the twitter moment or whoever's the fucking target of twitter of the day is no it just means doing good investigative work doing solid research and chiming in when we feel like it's necessary and with this one we did because we have personal stakes we have a lot of investment for decades in this and we we understand the trajectory because we were all there right and so that's why we we wanted to do this um we didn't just want to add to the echo chamber we wanted to add another angle that we felt like was missing and that's what we'll continue to do robbie that's why that's what we do on media roots radio that's what mike and i are doing on empire files we've been working on a documentary film for the last year and it's been kind of refreshing to just take a step back and and not feel like we have to be in the fold 24 seven. And I think that even though people, you know, our Patreon subscribers have dropped and we're not, I mean, we're not taking in enough money to have a staff or anything like that. Like it's more fulfilling to me and I feel good about what I do, you know? And I think that that's all we can do is just do what we're doing and do it differently. And it's, it's kind of a rarity these days. So we just have to keep doing it. Yeah. And some of the, probably the most heartwarming comments I get are people being like, man, I've been trying to find like a podcast I agreed with or, you know, something that doesn't just toe the line or like repeat a lot of the same things other people are saying. And like, I, I can't believe how much your podcast has changed my life. Like you guys are the only ones who, you know, like towing the line, meaning like people don't want other people, you know, people are getting sick of just towing the alt media locks. Right. Right. Just repeating the talking points. Um, like they're looking for a unique point of view, people who have experience being you know looking at conspiracy stuff looking at alt media stuff for 20 years and have learned who in that scene and what parts of that scene are toxic damaging 
and that just are basically just as bad as the mainstream media, if not worse, because the mainstream media is clearly you, there's no questioning that it's corporate controlled, that the government influences it, etc. Alt media gives us people this false impression that it's actually independent and grassroots. So it's almost more dangerous in a way to have like propaganda lockstep talking points coming because people don't question it as much. And I'm, I mean, at this point, I really think that it doesn't even matter the difference between alt media and mainstream media. We have to address all we have to address all the lies and disinformation in general um, that's harmful and not, and I'm not even one of these people who cares about, Oh, the threat of disinformation. I mean, just like weaponized fucking partisan bullshit. Right. Just permeated all media. Um, yeah. We're trying to go back to the roots of actual critiques of power, which is a bipartisan operation. That's something that organizing the masses needs to take into account. It's both sides of the coin, mm -hmm. divide and conquer strategy of tension, these are the things that we'll continue to do. We never got swayed or swindled by Trump and we will continue to stay true and be independently minded and uh, critical thinking. And even if that means ostracizing swaths of people who want to get magnetized into COVID or whatnot, we're going to stay true and we're going to stay honest to what we feel in our hearts. Right. And that's yeah. just the way that we're going to stay. And we hope that pe that will and whoever that resonates with, that's great reality is becoming increasingly bizarre it seems like people are becoming unhinged and more detached from what a consensus reality is even among people who are distrustful of institutional power as we have been relating to for the last couple of decades but that can't influence where we go and we just have to we just have to stay on course of what we feel like the right direction is and it's it, it's an uphill battle but it has to be done Absolutely agree. 100%. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to Media Roots Radio and supporting us on Patreon. If you haven't already, go to patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. And thanks, Mike, for being a part of this discussion. It's always fun to have, have you on. And, Hell yeah. Um, we've got to do it again soon.